0: Well, we're going to turn now to Ephesians chapter 2, and before we get into it, let's um, pray together. Father, uh, as we look at this fantastic passage about uh, your church and our role within it, we pray that you'll give us teachable hearts and uh, minds that are open to hear what you have to say. Uh, We're very aware that the world around us um, squeezes us into its mold and we ourselves have our own opinions about things and we need to come under the authority of your word again and again. We pray you'll help us do that right now. In Jesus' name we ask it. Amen. It's been uh, well reported over the years that most people have a higher view of Jesus than they do of his church. And I wonder, is that how you feel? A higher view of Jesus than you do of the church. So, we've got this high respect for, high regard for, high love for the Lord Jesus. But when it comes to the church, well... It's not the same kind of love, really. It's a wee bit lower, lower respect, lower regard. And actually, this isn't just uh, inside the church. It's also outside of the church. Can I suggest to you that the text before us, 19 to 22 of Ephesians chapter 2, the text before us and the text in other places tell us that this should not be so. We are to love Jesus and we are to love his body, the church. We're to love Jesus, and we're to love his body, the church. If you remember back to chapter 1, verse 10, uh, in many ways we've got there revealed to us God's great big plan to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. To bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. What Paul's been doing since he revealed that verse to us is that he's been dealing with the obstacles uh, to this plan being actually worked out. And there are basically three obstacles. Jesus was dead and buried. So what did God do? He, He raised him from the dead, didn't he? And seated him at God's right hand in the heavenly realms. Chapter 1, verse 20. Then the second obstacle was that we were dead in our sins. Deluded, disobedient, damned. Chapter 2, 1 to 3. So what did God do? Well, He brought us to life. He raised us up, and we were placed in the highest position in the heavenly realms. Verse 4, but God. The problem and the answer. The third problem was the fractured humanity, the fractured nature between the people On the earth, the Jews, a small group of God's people, and the rest of mankind, the Gentiles, alienated from one another. How could chapter 1, verse 10, how could that verse be fulfilled if humanity is so broken? But as we thought about last week, and particularly verse 13, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far away have been brought near through the blood of of Christ, by the blood of Jesus Christ. We can have peace with God, and we can have peace with each other. The two become one. The barrier, the dividing wall of hostility is broken down. I mean, that's the image used in in verse 15, is it not? By abolishing in in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations, his purpose was to create in himself one new man out of the two. Thus, making peace. And if we have time, yes, we, agree we will have time. Verse 16, one body out of the two, and in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross by which he put to death their hostility. Verse 17, peace between those far away and those close by. Verse 17, he came and preached peace to you who were far away and peace to those who were near. And then the result of it all, of course, verse 18, For through him, we both have access to the Father by one Spirit. The Jew and the Gentile both have access to the Father through the Spirit. So, actually, chapter 1, verse 10 is happening. It's happening. He's bringing all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, uh, even Christ. The work of Christ, his death on the cross, unites us to him and it unites each of us to one another. So we glory, surely, and rightly so, in that the cross unites us to him. I'm not so sure we make enough of the fact that the cross also unites us to one another. Now, we need to understand what's happening in chapter 2, verses 11 to 22, which we looked at last week. I'll just put the headings up there so that you can see where we're going, because the third part is the part we're looking at tonight, 19 to 22. But on 11 and 12, Paul's pointing out there what we were without Christ, what we were without Christ. 13 to 18, what God did through Christ, praise his name. And now we're seeing in 19 to 22 what we are in Christ. You'll notice there, verse 19, the first word, at least as in the NIV, consequently, In other words, the so what? The so what? The result of all that Christ has done is that there's a brand new people, a new society, a new community, and it's called the church. It's called the church. So we're part of one kingdom. We're we're children of one family and were living stones in God's one growing temple. Those are the three images uh, that are used here in these verses before us tonight. So what I say to you is that, yes, let's love Jesus and respect him, have a high view of him. But let's also remember that we are to love and have a high view of his church because he's formed us, his body. Actually, it's a contradiction to say, I love Jesus, but I do not love his church. It's a contradiction. We need to love him and his body. So, we have three, these three pictures. I suppose the, the, the citizen, uh, the family, and the temple. So, let's think of them, um, citizens. That's what we are, first of all, um, in verse 19. We're citizens of, of God's people. See what Paul says. You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people. Before, they were foreigners and aliens, but no longer foreigners and aliens. And what Paul's basically saying to these, um, these Gentile believers, largely in, in Ephesus You didn't have a Jewish passport. You didn't have a Jewish birth certificate. You were not part of the one nation state of Israel. What were you? You were foreigners and aliens. That's what you were. Cut off from the blessing of God. No protection, no security, and no rights. And even just as I say that, I'm just thinking of that young girl who uh, left to join um, the IS. You remember, she left as a 16-year-old, and now she has she's been stripped of her of her um, citizenship, and she's she's appealing against it. Why is she appealing against it? Because the state that she's in is stateless. She has no protection, no security, no rights. She's in a desperate position, and that's what we were like before. Christ saved us and brought us into his church. Yes, we are alive, okay. But we have no benefits of belonging to God until Christ saved us. And when he saved us, we became full citizens with full rights in his kingdom. We're fellow citizens with God's people. Who are God's people? Well, People like Abraham, and Moses, and David, and Ruth, and Mary, and the list goes on. One people, our people. That's who we are. We're fellow citizens with God's people. Now, the word kingdom, of course, is not actually mentioned in the text before us, but God's people means God's kingdom. And it's a dominant theme in the Bible, and it points, of course, to the rule of God. In the Old Testament, the, the rule of God was displayed in the life of the nation of Israel. You'll, you'll know that if you've at all been around the church and reading the Old Testament. Israel was to live the life of God among the nations around about. Yeah, they were to live the life of God among all the nations around about. Um, one commenter put it healthily like this, and I, I used his, um, all his ings there. The, Israel was to be a living, breathing, walking, talking witness that there is a God, and that he is Lord, and that he is sovereign. That was their job, that was their responsibility. And the nations all around were to see this witness and say, you know what? Those people are different. And their God is real. And their faith is better. You see, they were meant to be a visible manifestation of the rule of God. But when Jesus came to earth, died on the cross rose again to life, it made it possible for people like us, Gentiles, to be part of his kingdom people, fellow citizens, with God's people. That's who we are now, because of Jesus. So it's not just a one nation state Israel, it's now a transnational community of believers, so people from all kinds of backgrounds including our own, are part of God's people. We're fellow citizens with God's people. That is who we are. That is who we are. A glorious privilege in Christ, in his people. That is who we actually are. Now, you think back to Israel. Israel accepted the privilege of being God's people. Israel was proud of the privilege of being God's people. But Israel failed in fulfilling the responsibility to be God's people. They failed to show and to share the good news of God. In many ways, they kept it to themselves. Or they failed to show that gospel good news to the communities and the nations all around. We, of course, now we are fellow citizens with God's people. Once aliens, once foreigners, now God's people, what a privilege. And I put these two words up just for us to see the privilege of being fellow citizens with God's people. But the responsibility is that we are to march to the beat of his drum. We are to be part of his kingdom, not the kingdom's Of the world. And we need to be people who stop being interested in political kingdoms and start to see his glorious kingdom as being the one and only, the kingdom of God. So that we will be a living, breathing, walking, talking witness to the one and only true God. That is our responsibility. The privilege and the responsibility. I think in this we see the single biggest problem in our evangelism is that we're too like Israel. We Want to have the privilege. We're not so fussed on the responsibility. You see, God expects us that now we are fellow citizens with God's people. He expects us to think differently. And He expects us to believe differently. And He expects us to behave differently. That's our responsibility so that we can witness to the nations around us, the nations that we live in. The problem is, often we want the privilege and not the responsibility. And we're constantly tempted to just think like the world, to believe what is actually easy for us, and to behave just like others. And therefore, no wonder our witness struggles to make an impact. And of truth be told, aren't we too like the kingdom of the world and not enough like the kingdom of God? Isn't that our problem for evangelism? So the world looks at us and say, you know what? There really isn't a lot of difference. Some of the staff members were up at a conference a few weeks ago and um, now, the speaker was speaking on the, the American scene, but he came out with some interesting startling facts. Not alone did he say that um, half of uh, the 30% of Americans who claim to be evangelicals never, ever, ever go to church. Half of those who claim to be evangelicals never, ever go to church. But half of the others, you know, they don't go regularly as well. But the abortion rate among evangelicals is almost as high as the rest of society in America. Marriage breakdown rates, the use of pornography, and the abuse of alcohol are at similar levels within the church as they are outside of the church. Isn't that incredible? It almost seems as if the church wants the privilege of being fellow citizens with God's people, but not the responsibility. I'm not sure what the UK rates are, but I wonder if they would be very different. Here's the challenge I, I find myself thinking about this week. We need to lift up our eyes and see him and his call to be Fellow citizens with God's people and see that privilege and see that great responsibility so that we might witness clearly to the nations. I think the application from this portion of Scripture is very clear. God says, You're my people live like my people. (laughs) Live like citizens of God's kingdom, not like the citizens of the world's kingdom. See the privilege, yes, but enjoy the responsibility. That's the first picture. Do you see why we should love the church? Because we're fellow citizens with God's people. That's what Jesus has saved us for. So in other words, we're not just a wee club that meets you know, once or twice on a Sunday and sometimes during the week. No, we're not a wee club. We are fellow citizens with God's people. The second picture is one of a, of a family. We see that at the end of verse 19. And members of God's household. This is amazing, isn't it? That people like us are adopted into the royal family of heaven. Uh, One writer put it uh, like this, that even our very DNA, our spiritual DNA, begins the process of change when we're born again. This doesn't happen in natural adoption. Some of you know something of that, natural adoption. But over time, in spiritual adoption, we become more and more and more like our Father. We're changed to be more and more and more like Jesus, or at least we should be. Peter talks about participating in the divine nature and escaping the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. So the Christian is born of him and adopted by him. And it's a wonderful privilege, is it not, to say we are loved as children of God so that we are valued by God as children and we are united, therefore, as siblings. Whatever our background might be, colour, class, creed, we often use those three C's, and they are true. We are part of one family. It's awesome that Jews and Gentiles from different lineages were brought together into one family by the Lord Jesus Christ. Centuries of hatred and division broken by the cross the gospel, and the formation of the church. And, of course, this idea of being valued as children and united as siblings is best seen in a local congregation. That's why we have local congregations of God's people in the church. For instance, the church in Ephesus, or the church in Rich Hill, or wherever you happen to be. Different backgrounds, different languages, different origins, but one family. Again, this is something I think we all can identify. It's easy to love Christians far away, isn't it? And I'm sure we all have our, um, we've all got, you know, this is your favorite church, obviously, isn't it? Well, maybe not. But we've always got our favorite other church somewhere, haven't we? It might be in a, another country that we visit from time to time, or, or it might be in the same country, but we, we worship there when we're on holiday, and and we we think longingly of that and that's not bad in itself you know but can i point out but something i'm sure you realize yourself that it's easy to love in those kinds of situations isn't it why because we're not there enough of the time for people there to hurt us or to wound us or to disappoint us or to betray us we're just not there enough for that to happen it's here in a local congregation where we're placed by God, where we're here to serve and worship, that love is really tested. It's really tested. It's here in a local congregation that we learn to forgive and to love through the hurts that we inflict on each other. See, this is real family. And this is where we are siblings in Christ. Now, of course, if there are wounds or hurts or estrangements or sinful reactions, yeah, we need to deal with those. We're called to deal with those. It's called reconciliation, forgiveness, it's unity. But see here the wonder and the privilege. We are the family of God. We're members of God's household. So think well and highly and lovingly of Christ, yes. But think well and highly and lovingly of the church because you have the privilege and the responsibility of being members of God's household. Kingdom or citizenship. Family. Thirdly, the third picture is temple in verses 20 to 22. Let's read those verses again um, because they're a wee bit more complex or mixed through some of the... Um, but anyway, verse 20. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his Spirit. So, citizens of his kingdom, members of his family, and stones or blocks or bricks in his living, growing temple. That's the picture we've got here. Now, if you know anything about um, the ancient world, you know that all the pagan religions had their temples. They were huge. Some of them were magnificent. In Ephesus, for instance, there was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world, a huge temple in honor of Diana. And followers of her religion and all the other religions in the ancient world believed that somehow these temples were the home of the god or the goddess. And in the Old Testament, we we read that the glory of God was shed from and rested upon, first of all, the tabernacle, and then the temple. It was the focal point for God's people, the residence of the glory of God. But look. What's happening now? Now, God sees us, His church, as His temple. Verse 21 and 22. In Him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, notice that there's three parts to this here, uh, and if, you, if you've got a Bible, you might find it helpful to uh, mark or underline, first of all, foundation, then chief cornerstone, and then living stones. So, let's think of these as we sort of come to an end tonight. First of all, there's the foundation. The foundation built upon what? The teaching of the apostles and the prophets. We have been given a rule and a standard of truth. That's what we build this, this new temple on. So, mums and dads, do you want a rule and a standard of truth for your family life? Do you want that? Well, I hope you do. Well, it's here in Scripture. You don't need to go elsewhere. The foundation of truth for your family it's the Scriptures built upon what the apostles and the prophets have taught and provided. Elders, do you want a rule and a standard for leading the flock of God that's been entrusted to you? Well, it's here in Scripture. You don't need to go elsewhere. Do we want to know the truth about the moral issues and the ethical questions that are being bombarding us in, in recent generations, and particularly this one? Well, the answer is in the Scriptures. The foundation has been laid by the apostles and the prophets. But do you know what many people do, whether they be parents or church leaders or politicians, do you know what they do when they're trying to find out what they're going to believe? Well, they they do something very, very scientific. It's very, very complex. They stick their finger in their mouth. They wet it, and they hold it up to see which way the wind is blowing, to see what everybody else believes, what most people believe, what society wants, what people want, and then they decide what they are to believe and how they are to behave. They stick their finger in the wind, but that's not us, that is not what we do, (laughs) We are not politicians looking for the biggest vote. We're not about seeking a majority rule to to discover what the truth is. We're not about compromising to reach a consensus. Not at all. We are the kingdom of God. We are the family of God. We are the temple of God built on the truth that is revealed for us in Scripture. And that's why, by the way, we spend so much time not sharing man's opinion, not doing a little, uh, the screen. what do you think we should do, or what do you think we should believe, or how do you think we should behave? We don't do that because we believe that this book gives us all that we need because it's the foundation of our temple, our new temple, the temple of God the foundation that's built upon the teaching of the prophets, and the apostles. So we're building life, we're building family, we're building the church, we're bu- bu- building belief on that foundation. That's the first part. The second part is the chief cornerstone, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. Now, this isn't so familiar in modern days. The cornerstone was the first stone set in the construction of a building after the foundations were put in place and all other stones will be set in reference to that cornerstone thus determine the construction of the entire structure. So if that cornerstone is not right then the angles will be all wrong in the building the walls will not be straight and it will be an unsound building so if we want a sound structure in in the old days you had to put the cornerstone in properly. Jesus is the chief cornerstone of this temple that God is growing and building. And nothing can compare to him. Nothing can replace him. Nothing can determine the construction of his church better than him. His life, his ministry, his gospel, all of it, the cornerstone of our faith and living and serving. And the cornerstone must be perfect as he is perfect and we must align ourselves perfectly with him it's not a matter of us you're saying okay 75 percent of what Jesus says we will try and um, we'll accept and we'll try to put into practice but the other 25 is is not feasible so we'll just ignore it It's not even 90% is okay and we'll just leave the other 10% out. No, it's all of Christ. It's all of him. It's all that he says because he's the chief cornerstone in this temple. And then, of course, there's the, um, I suppose, the superstructure we might call the rest of the building. It's the bricks and the stones. Verse 21 and 22. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together To become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. We are the stones. We are the blocks. We are the bricks. We make up his temple. (laughs) If that doesn't get you excited, I don't know what will. We're part of the kingdom. We're part of a family. We're part of his temple. The living stones that we talked about and read from 1 Peter chapter 2. Here's the exciting thing is, you know, God could have made his temple out of anything in creation. Do you realize that? Anything. I mean, he, he, he had all the stars in the whole of the universe. I mean, he could have, I don't even know how to think about this, but he could have sort of manufactured his temple in the universe out of all the stars. But he didn't. He makes his palace, his temple, out of us. Dead, enslaved, condemned, but redeemed by the blood of Jesus, he makes us his temple built on Jesus the cornerstone, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets, intentionally chosen, where the master stonemason, chipping away, shaping us, placing us to be part of his temple. And so we say, yes, love Jesus. Oh yes, love him love us, church too love us, church too because this is his plan yes the church is not perfect yet God is not finished with us yet sometimes people will disappoint you I will disappoint you and frustrate you maybe even hurt you And guess what? You'll do the same to me. But we are a work in progress. We might say, sometimes after a wee bit of road works, sometimes they'll say, sorry for the delay. Don't they? Maybe we should say that to each other. Sorry for the delay in becoming what we ought to be. But God's not finished with us yet. He's building his church. I hope you're excited about this. Aliens become citizens. Strangers become family. Idolaters become the temple of the holy and true God. Christless people become Christ-filled. People far away are brought near. The hopeless are filled with the promises of God. And so goes on. And so we should say to, to our Father, change us. Change us. Change us. And change how we view Him, Jesus, our Savior. Change how we view us as his church. Change us. Show us who you are and who we are so we might show the world how much God loves us and how much salvation is worth. His kingdom, his family, his temple, wonderful privilege and a wonderful responsibility. Let's go out into that world and be what we're supposed to be, indeed that we might be his living, breathing, walking, talking witness to our great God and his gospel. Let me pray for us. Father, we marvel at who we are in Christ, no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens. Members of your great household, being built together to become a dwelling in which you live by your Spirit. Father, help us to love the Lord Jesus the way we ought. Help us too to love the church of Jesus Christ so that we might indeed Share the message the way we ought to. You are good and you are God, and we thank you for teaching us tonight. Help us to respond with lives of commitment and dedication. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.